0: Is your brain just filled with sports? Well, good news for you, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Big Brain Sports Podcast. I'll deliver you what's new in sports, trade rumors, the hardest inning stats, and an analysis of your favorite teams. Today's episode, I bring in two special guests for a sports breakdown. First, we have Susan, a sports writer and a big Leafs fan, coming in to talk about the Leafs. And second, I have my dad, Rory, who will be here talking about the Cowboys and the Australian Open. If you like sports talk, Big Brain Sports is a place just for you. Big Brain Sports, let's get into it. For our first segment today, we are going to be doing a Leafs recap with a special guest. Susan here is a freelancer writer for various publications, writing primarily about sports and also about kids developing their sports skills from an early age. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the Big Brain Sports Podcast. How are you today?
1: Hi, James. Great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Love the show.
0: Thank you. Now, first, before we get into the Leafs, I have a quick question. How did you um, become a Leafs fan?
1: So my family moved here from Scotland when I was five years old and hockey isn't huge over there, Uh, but I had a relative who lived up the street. My mom's cousin's husband who played at St. Mike's actually he played with Tim Horton at St. Mike's, and he was really into hockey and he talked to me about it a lot. And I had a neighbor, a friend, and she and her dad would watch hockey all the time. And I got hooked in really quickly. And people think I'm into sports because I have three older brothers, but they, they're they not big into sports at all. It was just me and Hockey Night in Canada, of course, was such a big deal, so that that got me in. And once they hooked me, there was no turning back. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, living in Toronto, you have to love the Leafs.
0: Yeah. Um, so as we get into this, this week has been a huge week for the Leafs with four games this week, and um, we'll we'll go over a review of the week together. Uh, do you want to go over Monday's game?
1: Uh I think the whole week was really an emotional roller coaster. It Monday night was sort of a it's something that Leaf fans almost not expected but are used to it's uh i think the leafs came in with a lot of confidence maybe thinking that they were facing the worst team in the league and thinking that they were going to crush it and they did start crushing it and then of course it all went downhill from there so it was it was classic leafs of long ago but it wasn't the leafs of this year so uh You know, they went, they got off to a great start. Uh, they gave up a goal with uh, nine seconds left in the second period. And so they, uh, they had a 5 1 lead until that point, got into a bit of a 5 2 hole, which seemed okay. Except that Sheldon Keith said at the intermission that he said it was, he felt that it was ominous. Things were not going well. And he was right. So the, uh, the Oilers exploded in the third period, tied it up, and then went to that horrible, horrible overtime. If you're a Leafs fan, that was a horrible overtime. So that was uh that was definitely a a confidence, well, not booster at all for the Leafs, but it was a it was a, a check. It was something that they had to face. It was good they faced it now, not in the playoffs, but uh it was interesting to see how they would come back from that game.
0: Yeah, and come back they did. Now Wednesday's game, uh, it was a two-one win, and in the first period they did not look too good, but they came out and grinded it out and beat Ottawa. Now Thursday's game, if you want to talk a little bit about that, was a huge win for the Leafs, bouncing back after the two okay games with Hutchinson playing in net.
1: Right. So I think, I think that Wednesday's game, they thought they better tighten up defensively and uh and they they sure did that it was it was such a, a grinding game like you said uh some fans might say boring but for sure it was what the leafs needed to do they figured it out they obviously the coaches had a a long chat with them about monday and uh so they shut it down on tuesday and then you wednesday it was a great combination of the explosive shooting and scoring combined with the solid defense. So it was it was a good reality check for the Leafs and it was a really great comeback.
0: Yeah, agreed. Especially Thursday when they were up 5-1 in the second period and then Connor Brown scored to get to 5-2. I'm sure all fans were very nervous.
1: Absolutely. We were we were screaming in my house, "No, not the dreaded 5-2." <laughs> it used yeah. to be last year it was the dreaded 2-nothing lead. Or 2 years ago, I guess pre-lockout but uh yeah no we we were definitely panicking a little except that they did look a lot more solid on thursday night so i i think we were a lot more confident and they were too
0: yeah agreed now last in this last game in this week they played the canadians who didn't play for over a week they were second at the start of the week and then they moved down to fourth in the canadian division so they were looking to get a win but they couldn't pull it out. And if you want to talk about more about that game and the explosive scoring in the second period.
1: Absolutely. They, uh, you know, as a Leafs fan, there's nothing better than a, a win against the the Habs. And going into a game against the Habs, it's also the most nerve-wracking time because nobody wants to, like I said, nobody wants to lose against the Habs. Uh, I'd say that First of all, the goalies for each team stood on their heads. They both made unbelievable saves last night. So anybody who was calling out Freddie's head after Tuesday's loss, they were solidly behind him like they should be last night. He was incredible. Matthews, of course, just killing it last night again. Uh, unfortunately, Nylander had the the night that he wasn't looking forward to. and uh, And Keith sat him for a little while there. But uh, overall, what an effort by the Leafs. Such a great, great effort all around, defensively, offensively. Great game for all. And that's
0: the recap of the week. Um, it started off on Monday. Look at like it looks like the Leafs might have a bad week, but they took seven of eight points available this week, which is very, very good.
1: Happy to see them back on top. Well, not back on top, on top where they where they remain. Yeah, now um,
0: moving after the recap, we have some stuff to talk about. First, Jack Campbell got hurt a couple of miles ago and Hutchinson played pretty well. But when do you th- do you think that Freddie's going to be healthy to go in the playoffs, especially with him playing so much?
1: He has been playing. He's logging more minutes than any goalie in the entire league. And uh, there was one point last night where he- he sort of overextended. Uh, he had a, an incredible split situation going on where he made an incredible pad save. And he was down for maybe 10 seconds, but it was 10 long seconds as a Leaf fan. It was very worrisome, but he popped back up in true Freddy style and uh, got back into it. I think uh, we are hoping, of course, Campbell will be back. He's skating again. Which is great to see. He's back out on the ice. Hopefully he'll be back in another week or so. And and we can have him as a, a solid second on the team. You know, it's he's somebody that the players love. And uh even if it's not just for in the in the uh change room, you know, he has a lot of confidence in his players and they have a lot of confidence in him. But but definitely Freddie is hot. Uh he's He's just, I'm just worried about the, the amount of ice time he's getting. I just hope he doesn't, especially with these games so close to each other. Let's just hope he doesn't uh, get too tired, too worked. But, you know, on the anniversary of the David Ayers, the Zamboni lost the Zamboni 42-year-old driving kidney transplant, incredible guy. You know, on the one-year anniversary of That goalie beating us, you know, it's it's a good uh, reminder of how solid you need your goalie to be. And uh, but and Freddie's doing it.
0: Yeah, agreed. And still to that day, that story is absolutely amazing and still don't know how the Leafs (laughs) couldn't score on him there. Exactly. (laughs) When talking about the Leafs and goaltending, people can score but aren't having any trouble this year. Matthews and Marner in that first line. It seems like every time the puck goes in the net, you're just looking for number 34 in the goal celebration or the first line. They are playing insane, especially in this last week.
1: Yeah. the uh, I mean, I was, I was listening to Morgan Riley and he said, uh, he said, he's always in the right spot. And it's, it's incredible. It's, uh he knows how to get to that spot. He knows that he's, I mean, he's really confident in his line mates. He's confident in Marner He's confident in Thornton. And, uh and he just, even if they're not going to get him the puck, he's going to find the puck and he's going to create the plays. And he's just, it's just incredible to see the point streak that he's on the game point streak that he's on the number of goals he's getting. I don't know if it's a bit of a, a competition between him and McDavid in his mind because they spent the summer training together or the off-season training together. And uh, and if it's a healthy competition, it's it's a great one to see the two of them going at it. But definitely, uh, especially heading into last night when he hadn't scored any goals against Montreal this year, it was great to see him take them on and score two and, and really dominate. He's just, you know, he's just he's just incredible. And the fact that he he's on pace to score 55 goals in 55 games and and hopefully that's not jinxing anything. But that's just an, an unbelievable performance.
0: Yeah. And uh, McDavid might have been watching the game there and wondering like, oh, he scored two goals because he went out and scored a hat trick last night, too. Uh, that's right. That yeah. Outside, yeah. 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 Um, maybe
1: they're spurring each other on.
0: Yeah of course when talking about Matthews you can't uh, forget Marner who is uh number three in points I think this season um, you is. want to talk a little bit about him
1: yeah he's uh you know you can't go wrong with Marner he's he's everywhere you, you know he's he's all over the ice he's he's just like a little I don't even know what to call it, like a not a little elf but a little sprite just. You don't expect him to be places and all of a sudden he's there and he's he's digging into to pucks, he's he's taking pucks away from people, he's he's everything that Matthews could could need, could could do with. And again, he doesn't absolutely need him, but they're a great combination. He's he's such a, a force on the ice. They both are. It's just it's so fun to watch. As a Leaf fan, you know, the, the struggles we've been through for so many years as Leaf fans, this is just fantastic to see these two together. And, of course, Thornton with them. He's just great, too, especially for a 41-year-old. Amazing.
0: Yeah, and speaking about Thornton, that moves into our next uh, topic slash question. Um, who would you say is the best uh, new addition for the Leafs? Um, Wayne Simmons is out for six uh six weeks, so we don't know there, but looks, there looks like their new cheaper additions look very good over the offseason that they
1: got. They are. Dubas did an amazing job, again, being able to slot in four new players, well, plus Galchenyuk, I suppose, but these four major players for, like you said, small contracts. Thornton for 700000 a year is looking like a steal at this point. Simmons, million and a half. Uh, Bagosian at a million. Uh, Brody's a bit more expensive at five million per year. But to, to figure out which is the best, really, wow, you know they needed a whole lot of help on the defense, and and both Brody and Bagosian bring a lot to the to that line or to that position. They're they're both different players in that Bagosian obviously is a he's a grittier guy he's incredible taking other players out of the game but he's also you know he's he's got some offense to his game as well brody on the other hand he's just he's totally so skilled at at getting pucks away from from the, the offensive players keeping the puck out of the d zone he's uh he's a steady solid guy he's at a plus 7 right now so he's he's a fantastic acquisition um if you're looking at the other two acquisitions like i said thornton he's he's seventh overall in the nhl uh history in assists so he and marner they know their their role they uh although they're obviously both great scorers as well but he's a great passer great playmaker great morale in the change room he's he really gets everybody pumped when he was out with his injury you know, the players all commented on the fact that they really, really missed him in the change room. And Simmons, uh, of course it's a huge loss right now being out for so long with the wrist injury. Um, I think he's still got another four weeks out, but he brought the grit to the team that they were really, really lacking. Um, and again, 32 years old, um, but a one-year contract million and a half they can sign him back again and the fact that it's a wrist injury means that he can still keep up with his conditioning which is great so i think i mean i don't i don't worry at all about the fact that he's going to come back strong but your original question was which one is the greatest acquisition for this year hmm i think oh gosh i it's so hard they're all all four are such great additions they've They've shored up their defense. They've um, they've brought in grit. They've brought in scoring. I would say I would say he's not a new acquisition, but Dubis has to be the the star in all of this in bringing all these guys in.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, especially with um, like four players having so much of the cap. It's pretty impressive, even if he did give them those contracts of being able to work around that and still get quality players
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah, and this is going to be our last one. With all these good things going for the Leafs, you've got to think about the playoffs. Now, the Leafs haven't won a playoff series since 2004. So, what do you think um who do you think the Leafs biggest contenders are in their division and then in the league if they can even get to the semifinals?
1: I think it's pretty clear-cut in this division uh that Edmonton is is the team to beat they're they're solid like you said mcdavid is a, a power power skater power scorer just like austin and uh you know i obviously the the canadians are gonna always be there they've got fantastic goaltending as much as i hate to uh to admit to that but uh i can save my the type that the uh the time i got into a little bit of a an argument with Carey Price. He and I had a little bit of a, an argument one night, but I'll save that for, for a off, off-air off discussion. Uh, so it, it is hard to admit that Carey Price is so fabulous, but he really is, and I think we saw that last night. So I wouldn't count the, the Habs out. It's just difficult to know, you know, with the other divisions, since we're not seeing any of them, obviously. If you look south, there seems to be a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of almost equal play across a lot of the teams nobody's really standing out you've got Chicago you've got Tampa Bay as always you can never cut you can never count them out but I think I think we're so much stronger this year like we said we've got the the most reliable defense we've had in years we've got an explosive first line we've got so much depth you know I I'm not totally convinced that we have the best one-two goalie combination, but we'll see when Campbell comes back, we'll see how that works out. And uh, like I said, hopefully he'll give Freddie some rest and uh, and at least, I think we will, we're gonna knock a lot of wood here, but I think we're gonna make it through the first round. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and boy. I think further, I think further, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah very good points. Now for my biggest competitor, I would actually go with someone different. I'm gonna go with the Habs. Um, I just think their depth is so deep. They have players who can, they have their fourth line, can um, even match up against the first line and not get totally dominated. And I I just think Edmonton, just, they don't have enough depth. It's just gonna be McDavid, Sidle and that first line, scoring all their goals.
1: Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll see how it plays out, right? As the season goes on and we play, you know, it's, it's such a short season. 56 games and uh but it's going to be interesting as we go through. We're going to face the Oilers next weekend and uh and we'll see. I mean, that'll be a great series to watch. And uh so far we're we're 3-1 against the Habs in in games. Um so I'm 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 confident we can eliminate them. I'm am I'm, I'm going to go out on the limb and say, you know, we're we're good. Mm-hmm. I I don't worry about the Habs at all. Yeah. <laughs> touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. Uh, but no, I I think the Oilers are going to hang in there. And uh, I'm just so happy that we're not meeting Boston in the first round for the first <laughs> time in so long.
0: I'm sure many Leafs fans are happy about that too. Not another first round elimination in Game 7 by Boston again.
1: Exactly. With Chara gone, it would have been a little bit uh, more of a fight, I think. I think we would have had a, a bit more of a chance but I, I just don't even want to i'm just so glad we don't even have to think about it
0: indeed um so that's going to do our leave segment for today um very good interview thank you susan for coming on today thank you yeah we'll see you next time thank you very much we'll, we'll try to do this again this was lots of fun My next special guest is a big sports fan and plays lots of sports and is also a self-proclaimed sports expert. My dad, Rory Ronan. Golf clap. Alrighty, so you are a big tennis fan, is that correct?
2: That is correct. James, I am so happy to be here on Big Brain Sports. It is my favorite podcast in the world and Yes, I am a big tennis fan.
0: Wow, the Australian Open just finished, and what are your thoughts on it? Djokovic winning it
2: all. Well, the Australian Open is um, its a little bit difficult being a tennis fan here in Toronto because Melbourne, Australia is like 16 hours away, time zone. So you have to have a little bit of a strategy in terms of how you're gonna watch the matches because I like watching sporting events live. I'm not really into the taped version. I just can't stand it if something has already happened. I kind of want to feel like I'm experiencing it live.
0: Agreed, how are you supposed to yell at the TV and the players to hear you? Yeah, it's like, it's if, nice. if it's
2: already happened, yeah, exactly. I'm always telling sense. people what to do and then don't be so stupid and, when, and if it's already happened then I kind of feel kind of <laughs> stupid. So yeah. I much prefer live, but 16 hours, you have to have a strategy. So. What I suggest is either two things. One, either drink lots of coffee or you take naps. Now, you're only supposed to take naps on weekends because you might have to be doing school and work during the week, working from home. So I am not saying that you should take naps during the week when you should be working or at school. I would never do that, but that's some strategy that some people might decide to do. The other one is drink lots of coffee. Okay, your question. What do I think? Djokovic! Man, do you know what? I'll be honest, I'm not a huge Djokovic fan. Like he is just so over the top when he pounds his chest and yells and screams to himself. Like, I kind of find it obnoxious. So, um Djokovic now winning this title, he's at 18 grand slams. And Roger and Rafa at 20, like Roger, Roger and Rafa, I always cheer for both of them. Um, If they're playing each other, I cheer for Roger, but they're my two favorite players and I'm pretty... I'm worried. I'm worried that Djokovic is going to overtake both of them uh, because he is in just way better shape I think right now at his stage in his his career and so I think that Djokovic is going to um, eventually uh, overtake them in Grand Slams. Um, Anyways, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. You asked me what thoughts about the Australian Open, he got lucky, Djokovic, to take out uh, Taylor Fritz because it looked like he was going to lose that match because he was not moving well at all. Uh, he won the first two sets. Taylor Fritz came back, won the third and fourth. Uh, Brad Gilbert, the commentator, was convinced you know Taylor Fritz had the match and Djokovic you know, kind of found a way and uh, it seemed like his injury kind of healed itself um, unless he was faking um, the rest of the match. Uh, the tournament and he got better and he absolutely killed medvedev so uh djokovic is on top of his game i'm not totally happy about it but he is a great tennis player
0: agreed now on saturday i think morning uh for us and yeah saturday morning for us we had the women's final and naomi osaka um absolutely dominated that match now the question is first we're going to ask you about how you think the women's australian open went especially with Bianca, the Canadian, going out early, but Osaka, all four of her tournaments that she's won have all been on hard course and hasn't made it past the third round at Wimbledon. How do you think Osaka can adjust to the surface, James?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, Osaka plays such a dominating, powerful game. I think um, you know, a lot of people are kind of comparing her to like a mini Serena, where she's just so powerful that she absolutely just rips her forehand. Um, and just like the, the other her opponents like are not even close uh, to, to, to getting it back. So when when she's on her game, um, no one can touch her. And she's already won four grand slams, as you mentioned, um, but they are, um, or have all been on hard court. So that question is, can she have more success at the French on clay and Wimbledon, which is grass? I think her game naturally is better suited to hard courts, but I think she's going to start to have more success in those other surfaces. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time. Maybe, maybe not this year, but I'm going to make a statement here. I think within five years, Osaka has at least ten Grand Slams. I think so. I just, you know, she's just dominating with with her power, and I think she's just uh, on the cusp of, of, a, of a, a real great run here.
0: That is, yeah, as you um, get older in your tennis career, it's easier to adjust to different surfaces. So over time, I'm sure she'll continue to do better at the at Wimbledon and the French Open.
2: Yeah, and in mean, grass, there's so few grass tournaments, so it, it, it takes a while. Like, I think Osaka, um, she's from Japan, and she uh, but she grew up basically in the U.S. and grew up on hard courts. And so it's difficult when you start playing the tour um, at a younger age to all of a sudden... Um, know adapt and and be able to be really good on you know hard courts and clay and grass you know it it, it takes a while to to adjust and like i said there aren't too many grass court tournaments in general and and and, in the juniors you hardly play on grass at all so there can be a bit of an adjustment period there there it it is like a totally different game uh when, when you're playing on these different surfaces and so i think it just takes a matter of time
0: next talking about Australian open our last one for the Australian Open obviously from Canada we're wondering how the Canadians
2: did. You don't know want the Canadians did okay I think on the men's side it was a little bit of a missed opportunity. Um, I think that uh, you know Milos, um played decent against Djokovic. I don't think his, mo- his mobility was hundred percent either. Uh, it seems hes you know he's had some ankle problems. I, I didn't think I don't think he moved great. But, you know, you have to hand it to Milos, like, just in terms of how long he has been a top player in the world. Um, I guess the highlight of his career was when he beat Federer in the semis at Wimbledon and, and got to the finals. I mean, that was an incredible accomplishment. And he's been the top player for, geez, I want to say almost like 10 years now. So he's had an unbelievable run. The question is, will Milos ever win a Grand Slam? Time is kind of running out a little bit, I think, on Bilos. Um I'm, I'm hopeful, but I, I would say it's less than 50%. But, you know, um, I would say if he were to win one, it would definitely be Wimbledon. Um, in terms of the Australian Open, it's unfortunate that Chapo and Felix played each other again. Like...
0: It feels like it's been the hundredth time already, and they're both very young. It's insane. Yeah,
2: in Grand Slams, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So like, it's 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 too bad that two Canadians always seem to to play each other, and I think uh, and and they're both really good friends. They're they kind of around the same age, so they grew up playing together. Um, sometimes they stay at each other's houses. Like I think when the Canadian Open was in Montreal last year, Chapo stayed at Felix's play. So they're they're really tight buddies. But uh, yeah, they had to play each other. Um, I thought Chapa was gonna win that match, uh, but Felix won. I was a bit surprised at, at that and then Felix had a great draw at that point um, but he He lost he lost to the qualifier the guy who got to the semi-finals, but Ch- uh, Felix was up two sets to love and he was killing the guy and um, Yeah, he ended up losing so I was a bit disappointed with that, but I just have to say in general like Canadian tennis is in a great spot. So i mentioned, you know, three top players on the men's side. You know, we've got Milo, Chapeau, and Felix. And then, of course, the women's side, we have an absolute superstar in Bianca, who's already won a Grand Slam. And so, Bianca lost second round uh, here, but you know what? I don't put too much weight on that. She's been injured, so she's just getting back, gonna find her groove. I think Bianca will be just fine. Um, she just got to get a bunch of matches under her belt. It, it, it does take a while. So, Canadian tennis is in a great spot. Um, it's great as a as a Canadian tennis fan.
0: That is awesome. Um, moving on from this uh, different Australian Open tournament, you are a Cowboys fan, as I've heard.
2: Huge Cowboys fan. So the story here is that when I was kind of five, six years old, I started watching TV, and the Cowboys were America's team. So they were on TV every single week, and Roger Starbuck was the quarterback. And uh, so he was a top quarterback, and so I used to watch him every week. And so I got hooked on football um, at an early age, and I got hooked on the Cowboys. So I've been a Cowboys fan for a long, long time. So starting back with Roger Starbuck and you know the Danny White years. And so had a lot of years where it's kind of frustrating in terms of you never kind of get to the the championship and win the championship um, until Troy Aikman came around, and uh, between Troy and Emmett and Irvin, and the, so that was a good run where we won three three titles there. But since then, it's been tough. It's been a tough sled for the Cowboys for for quite a while now.
0: Now, uh, probably my favorite Cowboys moment was when they lost to the Jets last year.
2: Easy doesn't.
0: Um, but how do you think the Cowboys <laughs> can? Uh, Do you think the Cowboys will sign Dak to a long-term contract this year?
2: Oh, I think you have to sign Dak. I mean, so they've already franchised him once. So they can franchise him a second time. But I think it's going to come to a point that if you franchise him a second time, he's not going to sign with you. Because he thinks that, you know, you're not really totally committed to him. And like... I don't think Dak Prescott is one of the best five, six quarterbacks in the league, but he's pretty darn good. I kind of put him in that kind of that second tier of quarterbacks, maybe kind of like seven to 11, 12. And the Cowboys don't have any other options. So yeah, you gotta you, you, you gotta pay him. Um, you don't have any other options. He's a big part of that offense and you know, he, he he's, he's, he's mobile and he's got a pretty good arm. I think you have to sign him. You have no other options
0: i would agree with that um obviously one person who struggled was ezekiel elliott last year um with lots of fumbles do you think he's gonna rebound this year do
2: you know what i was so disappointed in zeke last year i I yelled at him a lot on uh, at the tv you know i I don't have a personal relationship (laughs) with zeke no no not in person I, I, i didn't call him up on his cell phone but i did yell at him a lot at the tv you know what like his everything was down like his total yards yards per carry and the fumbles the fumbles killed us in a couple of games so my view on zeke is that i think we should trade him i mean what the nfl has shown us over the past number of years is that you don't need to have an elite running back in terms of this marquee name to win titles and championships you can you can do the hybrid method where you have two running backs and, and, and also running backs, you know, they, they get injured and they only last for a certain number of years. And I think that one thing is that um, the Cowboys have cap problems. So, like, if you're going to give the big bucks to, you know, to Prescott, like, I think you might have to consider moving Elliott. I think he makes $13 million and, and that might be too much for a running back these days. What, what, do, you, what do you think, Big Brain?
0: Uh, I would actually disagree. Oh. I think since... Uh, Even though he fumbled the ball a lot, it wasn't that good. Part of it's his offensive line, mostly, and injuries coming back, I think they should improve. And um, another thing is also when Dak Prescott went out, they were covering the run a lot more. Dalton couldn't really do much with the ball um, too much. So I think with um, Prescott coming back and a couple of injuries from the O-line, I think he'll be back to his uh, form before.
2: Okay, all right. Some valid points there, Big Brain.
0: Now, uh, for our parting words, if you had to um, have one wish for the Cowboys this off-season, what would it be?
2: I'd like to get rid of the owner. I uh, <laughs> don't know if that's possible because he's the man in charge. I don't know feel no one can fire him, uh, but I would like it if he fired himself. Now, Jerry, Jerry Jones is a, is a nightmare, and he's he's got way too big of an ego. He's way too involved and i think the cowboys have a little bit of a a culture problem and i think they need to uh they need to toughen up they need to probably spend a little bit more money on the on the defense i think they're a bit soft there and i think it's always like it's it's all about jerry 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 and I, i don't think he's you know that adept and smart about you know finding those those hidden gems in the draft um and those those kind of key defensive players that you kind of need to build things around and i just think the cowboys were kind of we're were, like i said too soft too easy to 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 run against and um i think i think jerry's got to go his best days are behind him now he's he's such a big ego it's it's tough for someone the size of that ego to, to to step aside but i think if that that's the best Gift a cow, any Cowboys fan would get if Jerry he's not going to sell the Cowboys, but decide to kind of take a step back. That 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 would be awesome.
0: Yeah, that that would be that would probably be a very common wish for you guys to have an actual general manager there. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for coming on to the show. It was lots of fun, and I'm sure we will uh, have you on again. So thank you,
2: Big Brain. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You, like I said, this is my favorite podcast in the world. And, uh, yeah, maybe you'll have me on again another time.
0: Hopefully we will. Thank you for coming on.
2: Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Moving on to the NFL. We're about a month away from free agency, March 17th, when the NFL season officially restarts so let's anticipate the incoming moves and go over some of the best free agents uh first i will be going over jj watt who was surprisingly cut by the texans after the season uh, rumors had that jj watt was not happy with the texans Um, i thought he would have got traded but uh, did not get traded he was cut it was mutually uh, he wanted to go as he is still a very very good player and i'm going to talk about where i think he might go um. So there, are, he's probably the odds are 99%. He's going to a contender team because he wants to win. That's the whole point of him leaving the Texans is he wants to win. So, um, he's probably going to go to a contender. Some off the top of my head um, would be Browns, Bills, Tampa, Green Bay. Just the best team. But I'm going to talk about what I think the best fit for him and what the best fit for uh, what team I want to see him go to. Number one, uh, probably the favorites would be the Steelers just because both his brothers play there. They still have – they went 11-0. and They're not a terrible team. They lost first round, but they still went 11-0. and So they show you that they, can, they have some talent. Their defense is outstanding. Their pass rush is really good. Bud Dupree is a free agent and probably won't re-sign, so J.J. Watt would slide right in there. Even though Bud Dupree is a left, can play linebacker too. J.J. Watt will be um, a pass rusher, but he'll help that pass rush out losing a free agent. And when they're under the, and they're a little over the cap, with the cap going down this year due to no fans. Um, J.J. Watt would sign for less, and for the Steelers, that would be a very, very good pickup. they have both Watt brothers coming, pass rushing, chasing down quarterbacks, and that would be an amazing pass rush and tough for offensive lines and quarterbacks to deal with if he goes to the Steelers. Now, their offense is another story where you may not want to go there. You may want to be more of an impact player, play on a not-so-good defense and impact that defense to make him better with an already pretty good defense. Um, a good place to go if he wants to, like, impact the defense, be the team leader, and kind of already have a good offense you don't really have to worry about scoring would be the Bills. The Bills offense is very, very good. Josh Allen, as long as he doesn't regress to regress, he is improving, and it won't look like he's gonna regress. He's just improving and improving each season. And the offense was very, very good last year. And with Stefan Diggs um, as a number, as Josh Allen finally has a number one wide receiver, um, their defense was what kind of held them back. It's been good in so many years. It's what made them go to the playoffs last uh, two years ago, and. Um, and now, last season, it just wasn't good. Their offense took a step forward, and their defense took a step back. And what they could have very, very well used is J.J. Watt to help pass rush with Jerry Hughes. Now, Buffalo wouldn't be able to pay him, like, $10 million. They don't have the cap. But if he's willing to go for $2 million, he's already, if he just wants a championship, Buffalo is a great place to go for J.J. Watt. Where I want him to go personally would be the Titans. Now, I, the Jets are obviously my favorite team, and then uh, Cowboys would be my second favorite team, um, just like my guest, but he there, that's his favorite team earlier. But I would say that the Titans have sneakily became kind of my like team in the playoffs where I kind of root for if the Jets aren't in the AFC. I really like Derrick Henry as a running back, and he's one of my favorite players in the NHL, NHL, NFL, um, where he just he just runs people over, and it's very, very fun to watch. Um, <laughs> he's The um, play on Josh Norman was absolutely insane. Uh, if you haven't seen that, just go look up Derek Henry, Derrick Henry, Josh Norman, where he just absolutely obliterates him with a stiff arm. He's not only is he very very strong he's gonna knock over any defenders, he um, he's fast. It's not like he's too too slow. he is a fast running back um, also to go with that which is just almost unstoppable but the Ravens did stop him so was a little bit disappointed but I would love to see um, see JJ Walko, the Titans because JVon Cleone, Vic Beasley, very disappointing. Uh, Javon Clowney got hurt. It was just not a good time for the Titans' defensive free agency signings and that defense in total, in general, because that defense was not good and they need a step up. Their offense can perform. A.J. Brown, um, when the run game's going, it's uh, they look unstoppable. Tannehill with the play action. Um, they just need a good defense and J.J. Watt would be. Very, very key to that, especially if he's not willing. If especially if he's willing to take a little less money, this is a big one. Cutting him makes him an easier pickup to get, which is why we're mainly talking about him. He's got his money. He was due 17 million dollars, which is why um, he wanted to be cut. He didn't want to be traded because it takes away where the possibilities of where he could go. 17 million dollars with a cap cut, and you have to give up stuff. Teams wouldn't really want to do that. One year left on the contract. Here, it's one year. You get, you don't have to give up anything. And he, if he's willing to sign for you with not a lot of money, you can get maybe a minimum contract. Because he's already made his money in Houston. And he might be just looking for a Super Bowl. Um, Here's some long shots that I don't think that are definitely possible. He could go to Tampa and join Tom Brady and... That's if, like, um, I, I could see that happening. But they have such a good pass rush already. I would only see that if maybe, like, Shaq Barrett didn't resign with them, who was a very, very good pass rusher for them. But um, you never know. J.J. Watt could go there. I just feel like he wouldn't be used how he would want to be. Just he'd be playing a lot. It's just he may be um, playing on the inside a little more. Um, and because that team is, the, I, I don't know if he would want to go to Tampa. Obviously, if he's just looking for a Super Bowl ring, Tampa's probably one of the better choices. But uh, I could see him going to Pittsburgh, obviously, because both of his brothers quit there. Another place he could go is Green Bay. They could win it. They are championship contenders for sure. A-Rod coming back. Um, they're trying to win now and they need to re-sign Aaron Jones, who is a free agent, and I'm sure teams are willing to, g- g- going to go pick him up after some very, very good games and seasons he's had over the last couple seasons. Um, so J.J. Walk could go to Green Bay. He's from Green Bay, so I would not be surprised if he also went there. But I would say more of a long shot just because I feel like he's more. it's more likely that he goes to the Bills, or uh, one of those teams, but that's just my opinion. He could definitely go to Green Bay, too, but I feel like it's the consensus that he's going to a contender. He's not going to a Panthers, a Jets, because that's why he left uh, Houston. Um, Next, moving on, we've got more of a question for two teams here. Uh, What should you do, the Jets and Jaguars, what should you do? Um, so uh, for the, uh, for this, I have two different questions, but the main question revolves around you're a new, you're about to start, you're about to redo your rebuild. Um, do you spend your $70 million in cap space? The Dolphins spent it, and um, look how well it worked out now. Now they're looking like one of the brightest rebuilding teams. They're two years, one year away from contending if Tua Progressive's because of how good their team is and how how spending that money worked out for them, um, so I'm gonna give what I would do as a GM for both of these uh, both the teams. So Jets my favorite team, um, but I will start with the Jaguars because they um, they're in a better situation. I would say they have the first overall pick. They have a generational talent in Trevor Lawrence, and it's gonna be. Uh, they're in a very, very good situation, I would say. Um, they've got a new head coach, Urban Meyer, which is a pretty, pretty, it's, which is a pretty good hire, I would, um, I would think. And if Trevor Lawrence turns out to be as good as people say he is, he, uh, the Jaguars should be Super Bowl contenders very, very soon. We'll just say that. Now, about their, this free agency, if you look at it there's good offensive linemen in this free agency. We all know that kind of. But the big one that I think they should go after is Trent Williams. Trent Williams is an offensive tackle and for quarterback injuries, the biggest, um, the most often way they get hurt is by the blind side when they don't know it's coming. Getting a tackle to protect Trevor Lawrence is huge. You saw what happened in Joe Burrow's first season where he had no offensive line. It was not good. He was getting... He was just getting... He was running for his life there. Offensive line was not good. So, If you're going to go spend your money, it's got to be to get your quarterback in a good situation especially when you have such a good quarterback that they probably will all odds say they're going to draft trevor lawrence and he's a generational talent and you can't be giving him a bad situation not letting him be able to develop and read an nfl defense which is why i think going after some line pieces and agency is a perfect thing that the jaguars should do second thing they should do this off season, you don't have to focus on defense Um, you don't really, you can save, you can try to pick up maybe one player, but you can save that for free agencies coming up, trades coming up. You want to keep a little bit of cap space open. Again, they're rebuilding right now. It doesn't mean they're going to spend all 70 at once. It doesn't mean they're not going to spend any money because they definitely are. It just don't put yourself into like a bunch of long-term contracts and spend all 70 mil this year because next year it's going to be even more because the contracts get big uh, get bigger over time mostly in the nfl um but what i'm saying is you're most important how they spend most of their money obviously they need to fill out their 53-man roster but where do you spend maybe like 10 million per position on and i would say offensive tackle is the most important and then i would say a star wide receiver in free agency this wide receiver class is very deep and lots of people are leaving their teams Kenny Galladay probably won't return to the Lions. Allen Robinson probably won't return to the Bears. Juju Smith-Schuster may not return to the Steelers. All these people are available, and I think that, and I think that the um <clears throat> that the Jaguars should pick them up. I think that the Jaguars, um, just like the Jets have failed <laughs> with Darnold, they should give him weapons and protection, which is what. The Jets have started to do last off and their offensive linemen were not very good. Besides Mackai Becton, which was in the draft, I think that the Jaguars should build up their line in the draft, but they need a really good one. And Trent Williams would be my would be could be their ideal target in free agency they go after, and then maybe one of those wide receivers too. But the biggest thing I would say for the Jaguars would be offensive line. Now, going over to the Jets. Now, we still don't know what they're going to do. It's like a 50-50. They're going to keep Darnold, or are they going to trade him and pick Zach Wilson or Justin Fields with the second overall pick? Um, I'm still not sure. I think I'm leaning towards giving Darnold one more year, but that could backfire for sure. What, I, what they do in free agency, I think, depends on that 100% because – if they're, if they're actually, okay, so I think no matter what, they should be going to get a wide receiver. Because getting Darnold, you need Darnold to test him out, to give him one more year. You're going to need to give him more weapons. He does not have weapons his whole time in New York. So if you're trying to make him have the best situation and you think he still has talent and can still develop into a decent quarterback, you're going to have to give him um, a number one wide receiver. Number two. This depends on what. This can change my advice. So here, you if they keep Darnold, you're going for a center in guards and free agency, if even at all. Because if you're keeping Darnold, I think they draft Penny Sewell in, as the second overall pick, and you've got your two tackles. Um, and you've got your two tackles set, Mekhi Becton, Penny, Penny Sewell, and you build up the line from there, because if you, and if you don't, you're using that pick on Zach Wilson, and then you might want to sign a tackle to protect him, um, it's all about, I think, developing a quarterback to put them in, start them off in a good situation, because if you start with the, with nothing, as you've seen with Darnold, they do not develop well, and now he's in his third Fourth, coming up with, on to his fourth year and we don't even know if he's going to stay for the Jets. So Jets, I think both teams, it's kind of clear, um, you got to get a weapon and protect your quarterback and then um, worry about defense maybe a little later. But with the Dolphins, they went after Byron Jones and what they need right now is Tua to, to develop and they are golden for the next couple of years in uh, Super Bowl contention. Moving on from the NFL free agency, um, we have got baseball. Spring spring training is officially upon us. Yeah. And um, which means we can expect the Toronto Blue Jays back in action very, very soon. It's going to be an exciting year for the Jays given all the offseason additions they have made. And also, where are they going to play? They're starting in Dunedin, and they might move to Buffalo. I really don't see them coming back to Toronto this season, but you never know, but I don't see that happening. First, their biggest, let's go over their strengths first. Their strengths, I think everyone can point this out, their batting. Their batting order, they may have the best batting order in the league. Um, I'm gonna I can read off my what I think the batting order could be but um, I'm gonna read that off quickly this isn't very important but um, when I read off these players can all hey, they all have lots of power it's just consistency which is going to be the main thing that we're going on this year leading off I got Beau Bichette I also think George Springer could lead off but I think that Um, Bichette is gonna be really consistent this year and he's not the biggest power hitter and Springer's has more power I just think Springer's gonna hit go off um, play very very well this year and I think having him uh, lower like more in the when you can get people on is more important Got Calvin Biggio batting second that's kind of been his spot for the last uh, couple years two years um, on the Jays, and I think you keep him there. He's a pretty good contact hitter, and he does have some power. I have George Springer, number three. Um, I could see, like, them, I could see also if you put Springer, two, because I would say, like, Donaldson was one of their best hitters, and they put it, uh, too low. I think, in 2016. It was low Donaldson, Batista, Eddie. Or who was leading off? If, sometimes it was Pilar, and Tulo was fifth. Anyways, um... not important I would put in my opinion I put Springer third um I put is he I'm a Vladdy fan so I'm gonna put him fourth some people may put him a little lower in the lineup I think he has so much power and even though he's not very fast I think he's gonna have a very very big year and kind of a breakout because he's been on the hitting side at times, he's shown how good he can be, but sometimes he's been a little bit of a disappointment at the moment. But I think he's going to play very, very well this year. Luis Gurriel Jr. is batting behind him. Um, again, my lineup, I kind of have a lot of righties all right next to each other, but uh, I'm just thinking about, like, the skill in here, so I'm not really considering that. But um, it's just, like, my what I think their lineup should be. Um, I got T. Oscar Hernandez 6, I've got Marcus Simeon 7, Danny Jansen 8, and Rowdy Tellez 9 would be my uh, order for the Jays that I think they should go with, but uh, certainly some people will disagree. Again, great debate where you should put your batters. Um, as you can see, their batting order is very, very good. They have lots of depth, and the big thing they have is power. It's Can they be consistent? We all know they have power and can hit homers, and um, the balls are not going to be as juiced this year because of all the home runs, which is not, it's, um, it's better for contact hitters for sure, not great for the Jays lineup at the moment because, I mean, less homers, home runs, especially not good for Vlad. He is, uh, <laughs> he's not the fastest on the base path. But I think their batting will still show for itself, and they'll be very good. Um, i say what they're, they're, um, they're going to have to tighten up their infield play. Last year, it was not very good. They made too many easy errors, and they want to tighten up. Their outfield play was outstanding. It was very, very good. Their infield play's got to get better. Vladdy's still learning how to play first base. Um, Bichette made a couple of bad plays, even though he can be phenomenal at shortstop at some time. He's still young, and he's still learning. Biggio is now moving to third. And we're gonna see how consistently he makes that throw. Obviously, it's an MLB throw, he should be able to make it, but sometimes it's different than second. You gotta rush the throw, make the play a little faster. And we've we're gonna see how Biggio deals with that. And then Simeon's at second, and I don't think we have to worry about him. But the three young guys, uh, first, short, and third, there might be a couple errors early in the season, but. The goal is to get it, get them out um, earlier in the season. So in the playoffs, you're not making any bad mistakes. Now the weaknesses: they're they're great at batting, they're decent at fielding, they're bad at pitching. Um, they lost Ken, Ken Giles, their closer. Their bullpen last year wasn't necessarily good. They lost their closer. Their bullpen's going to be okay. It's going to be decent. It's not going to be near the best, and it might be a little near the worst, but it's definitely not the worst in the MLB. Um, their ERA was 4.71 last year, seventh worst in baseball. I do expect that to improve a little this year, even with losing their clo- closer. Um, it's mostly... That I don't think is really, it's not necessarily a uh, fair thing for the bullpen because they get put in so much more than any other bullpen. Because Montoya likes to pull his starters in five innings for some reason. So the bullpen gets a lot of work, which is not really what you want to see. And especially in a longer season, you want to try to get your starting pitchers to go a little longer, which um, is a problem because their worst part of the team is their starting pitching. They have Ryu. Who is very, very good. They have Pearson, who's up and cunning. And the rest, they're not very good. Um Yeah, they're they're starting pitching. They tried to get James Paxton. They couldn't get a great second pitcher. And all this work on the batting order is great. But they what they really needed is just another pitcher to try to help them out. And they did not get that at all. Um <laughs> so the question for the season for the Jays should not be, is there, um, are they going to score enough runs? It's going to be, can their pitching keep them in it? Can their pitching not take them out of games in the playoffs, most importantly? Because hopefully the Jays are making the playoffs this year with their loaded roster. Another thing to worry about, though, as a Jays fan is, um, lots of people are saying you have a very, very good roster. You are in the Yankees division who are probably a little better so you may be playing a wild card game which is why every game counts um for the Jays this year because I think it's going to be close and um it's going to be very very important for the Jays to try to get every win they can because it's tough to beat it's tough to beat the um <clears throat> yeah it's tough to beat the Yankees with all their money. Um, So for starting pitching, obviously we've got Ryu, Nate Pearson. And this is where it's, um, I think, Robbie Ray is going to be in there. Tanner Roark might be in there. Um, It's just after Pearson, the promise kind of goes down. They're all average, but it's not like they're very good. And their starting pitching is not good at all. They're going to need lots of runs this year. It's going to be like the... 2016 Blue Jays where they have a lot of power and they're gonna need pitching to come through for them and not dominate, but they just need them to keep them in games, which is gonna be tough because when you're playing, placing very good batters and you need your bullpen, especially in the playoffs, which is what I'm probably worried about the most, is Montoya doesn't let his starters go very long. And when you're in the playoffs, um, the bullpen is huge. And when you're using a bunch of arms in your bullpen, it is not good. And I just feel like you've got to try to let the starters go as long as you can this year, but just because I think the bullpen's gonna be getting a lot of action, especially if you get like a stinky start from your starter and they're gonna be having to finish out the game. I just think that the starting pitching is a big weakness and they couldn't really get it done in free agency. So there, we're going to see if they have to pick someone up. I hope they do, but with spring training starting, it does not look like it is going to uh, happen. Um, so that's it for blue days, blue Jays talk. Hopefully we get a playoff appearance this year. Um, last year, you could count it as one. I don't really, it lasted less than 24 hours. Um, to Tampa, but this year looks optimistic if you're a Jays fan you just hope that pitching can keep you in it. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Brain Sports podcast. If you love Big Brain Sports talk, then I've got you covered. I would like to thank my guest. Susan, and Rory for joining us on this week's episode. We'll have new episodes ready every other week, and tune in next time for more NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB talk. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and our website at mybigbrainsports.com and on YouTube, Big Brain Sports, all one word. See you next time. Big Brain Sports, out.